from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. And you know, last month, the PACT Act went into effect in the U.S., which prohibits vaping products to be delivered through the U.S. mail. And although this rule was originally intended for nicotine products, it now also includes devices that are used for marijuana and hemp. And to talk about how this new law will affect the vaping industry, I'm joined by Ricardo Willis, who is CEO of the vaporizer tech company Hanu Labs. His company uses a proprietary heating technology on their products, which include the Vape Exhale, Evo, and the Hanu Stone. And Ricardo also holds the distinction of being the first African-American CEO of a cannabis vaporizing company. Hurrah for that. Ricardo, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. It's great to talk with you more about the PACT Act and just, you know, what's going on in the cannabis industry in general. There's just a lot going on at this moment. Yeah, there really is. I feel like it kind of snuck up on us. Certainly snuck up on me. You've probably been, it's probably been on your radar because given what you do, but maybe you can explain a little bit more clearly what the PACT Act does and how it affects your business. So the PACT Act was actually created as a way to restrict the sale of nicotine delivery devices through the mail. And for some reason, it wasn't clarified by the by Congress and it lumped in cannabis delivery devices as a part of this. And we have yet to get a distinction about that, about that language. And what that has caused is first FedEx and UPS and DHL sent us letters and they are now refusing to ship our products to our customers whether B2B or B2C at this time. And USPS then came out and said, okay, well, we need some time to figure out the language and interpret it, and then we'll come back with a ruling. So everyone was under this expectation that that wasn't going to you know, happen right away. And then literally right when MJ BizCon started, they sent out the final ruling, which basically said that we could not use USPS to send our products anymore, which was damaging to a lot of businesses. Was it damaging to your business? I'm sure. It affected us, but after some further clarifications, because our device is intended for herbal vaporization, it does not fall under the PACT Act. Now, we do still feel some scrutiny, and we don't know if one day we will get a letter. And, you know, one of my investors told me, he was like, I don't want the ATF or the DEA at my door knocking it down because I own 35% of this company. Yeah. So what are you guys doing to clarify this, this part of the bill? Are you, are you in touch with members of Congress? Like, is the whole vaporizing industry kind of united in figuring out how to figure this out? So it's funny, you know, we started off with a larger coalition with about 150 to 200 companies that were involved. And then slowly over the last several months, that number has trickled down. Until finally, we had a meeting about three weeks ago. And in that meeting, they decided it was groups that were not going to be affected or had taken the position that they weren't going to be affected. And so they decided to break off from the coalition. 
So a group of us, about 15, 15 to 16 companies is now working together and we're trying to get other organizations involved because we need to get on the lobbying front and start actually getting this message out that these devices are designed for cannabis and not nicotine and that you know we shouldn't be going through this if these device if these products that we're selling are being sold in states that cannabis is legal or have medical usage allowed so let me get this straight so the companies that dropped out of this coalition felt like they weren't going to be affected so they didn't need to be part of the coalition yeah many of them did and then you know some were very large companies so i don't think that they would share their playbook of what they intend to do because, you know, that just opens them up to possible scrutiny or, you know, law enforcement coming down on them. So they decided to move on. I, on the other hand, even though it doesn't affect me so much on this particular product, the Evo, I felt that it was important that I stay involved because as an African-American, you know, I felt like, hey, I'm making a device and I'm not touching the plant. I used to touch the plant as a salesperson with flour and with concentrates. And then I decided I wanted to go into more of the ancillary space because the scrutiny wasn't so high. And now it's looking like I could go to jail for selling vaporizers, which doesn't make sense to me at all. And does this law, do you think, disproportionately affect people of color and and different consumers of color? Well, you know, me personally, I think it affects us as an entire industry. I try not to, even though that I know there are some dividing lines in certain aspects when it comes to minorities, I think that this affects us as a whole. And this is why we've been told by attorneys that we need to be looking at this as more of a legalization push on top of the vaporization and getting those devices pushed through. So let's talk a little bit about your background. It's really fascinating. So you, I read in your bio that you were a classically trained chef. Yeah, I am. I, I was at like 30 years old for a couple of years. I didn't know what the hell to do. And I wanted to do something different. And so I knew I needed to go to college because I had never went to college after high school. I tried culinary school, but you know I was making good money at the time with the job that I had at 18. I was a young father, so I chose work. And then when I hit 30, I kind of hit that point where you're like, oh, shit, I might be homeless if I don't figure out what I'm going <laughs> to do. And so I said I wanted to get a skill trait because I knew that that was something that was important. I always had something that I could fall back on. And so I went to culinary school and some some I've been very lucky and a lot of hard work, but it led to me, you know, working with the French embassy, the Indonesian embassy, becoming very close with their chefs and also some dignitaries. And I got a chance to work in Michelin star. But close to the end of you know my journey, I was a culinary instructor and my business partner, who used to be my dean, was like, hey, what do you think about coming out to California? And I was like, man, 39 years old, all I know is D.C. I did not, you know, really want to do it. But at the same token, I used to remember these times sitting at home and I was trying to build myself up. And I was like, you got to go to California. You got to go out there. You got to scale. You got to start a company. You got to, you know, you want to do it. You got to go there. And that's what I ended up doing. I finished up my master's degree and July of 2016. And literally two weeks later, I was in California and I was in my first cannabis meeting literally two days in. So what was your first business, first endeavors into cannabis was tourism. And then so how did you get into this, uh, the vaporizer business? 
How did that all transition for you? So tourism led to me realizing that I knew a lot about food and I smoked a lot of weed through the years, but I didn't really know anything about cannabis. I really didn't have the education that I that I knew that I needed in order to be successful. And so that led to me going to work for Jetty, in which I took every job I could working for Jetty. I picked up the money, I delivered um, orders, and then it led to sales. I then, you know, I, I believe in the Lee I Coca method. I wanted to learn everything from the ground up. So I would ask them, could I come in at night when I got off my job at Berkeley at the time and, you know, learn how to fill cartridges? Because I wanted to know everything from the manufacturing process until it got to the final cut to the end customer. And that led to me walking in one day and meeting um, Sabo Shen, who was the CEO of Apex Hill at the time on 420. And through That's someone fortuitous. introducing us. Yeah, I mean, he was a great guy. I had seen him about six, six, seven months before at a conference in Oakland. It was like my first conference. And I was really intrigued by him. I was like, this guy's a smart guy and he has a lot of passion in what he's doing. And I had no idea that, you know, it would lead to me eventually becoming the, the CEO of that company. But, you know, him and I formed a really strong bond. He knew that I was really a big proponent about education. And so through us working together, we were able to do some great things with the Vapex Hill. We launched the Hanu Stone and did launch parties in L.A. and San Francisco and Las Vegas. And I was the guy that was behind a lot of that stuff in the shadows because I just like to get stuff done and didn't you know, like to take a lot of credit for it. I just like to you know, get paid for it. So. Yeah. And how did your background as a trained chef play into your expertise in the vaporizing industry, right? There was something about the way it's heated and everything that really, your knowledge really informed the design of the product. So, you know, cooking is, is started from an application of a heat method in the same way with cannon. Cannabis. Cannabis is a flower material that can be turned into a concentrate the same way that you could take certain fruits or vegetables or herbs and turn them into paste. And the cooking process, that application or applying that cooking method is the same as in cannabis. So if you think about a dab, if that dab is on a, on a smaller surface, it doesn't get a lot of room to be able to sublimate. And then, you know, so it's uneven. It doesn't give a good head. So think about making a crepe. Do you want a thick crepe or do you want it nice and thin? So surface area becomes a big thing. But knowing that when you sous vide something versus putting it on a grill, do I want my dabs to be grilled or do I want my dabs to be sous vide? So learning about the application of heat to these products has been something great. And I mean, I'll give you an example. We used to play around with the Vapex Hill and they had flower temps that were at like 450, 460. And so you would get great big clouds. And then dabs were in this like 375 to 425. So I started turning it down to like 225, 250, 350. So it took longer for the vapor to be able, for the oil to be able to supplement, I mean, sublimate and burn off, but you got a much tastier hit. So then I started comparing that to how we prepare sauces at low temperatures because we don't boil anything. We actually simmer it. 
And so as we apply these things to vaporization technology, I see the same things. I'm using induction technology. I'm using infrared technology. All these things that are can be applied to food are actually being applied to cannabis. So I'm blown away by that. Hey, everybody. I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about a new product that we're really excited about here at Entrepreneur Media. Green Entrepreneur CBD. That's right. Green Entrepreneur CBD, the first of its kind designed exclusively for entrepreneurs. I mean, look, we know entrepreneurs at Entrepreneur, and we understand that being an entrepreneur is really hard work. You need to be focused. You need to be passionate. You need to be dedicated. And frankly, you need to be a little bit crazy. But in the end, it's all about maximizing your performance from when you wake up in the morning to when you go to sleep at night. And Green Entrepreneur CBD meets you at every step of the way. Take our Rise and Shine tincture, for example. It's formulated specifically to help you stay focused and alert so you can conquer the day's work. Our CBD sports stick is perfect for those little aches and pains you get from running around or, if you're like me, sitting too long at your desk. As a bonus, I think you'll really love our unwind soaking salts, which are really nice for a late night bath. And I'm pleased to announce that our prices are also quite reasonable. We know how expensive CBD can get. So head on over to greenentrepreneurshop.com to take a look at our products. That's greenentrepreneurshop.com. Green Entrepreneur CBD could be your secret weapon. That sounds really interesting. Talk to me about. You are, you know, when I, when I met you briefly at MJ Biz, you mentioned to me, or it was mentioned to me that you're not actually a big proponent of federal legalization of marijuana, which is, you know, I know there's sort of a growing chorus of people who are, who are coming out and saying that it, it seems to be definitely in the minority, but there are people who don't actually think it would be a necessarily a good thing for the business. Can you talk to me a little bit about your position there? Yeah. I mean, I'm a mix. I know that legalization would do some great things for us. And I do believe that that course of action is needed. But how it's done is where I have some issues with. I have some issues with the framework. Who's working with these people to develop these bills? I know for a fact from a call that I had Tuesday that one of the things is is that there are several bills in the House right now that are pushing for legalization of cannabis. Who has helped develop those bills? Who are the voices that are leading that charge? Because I can tell you now that everyone that's leading the charge is not speaking for the whole entire group of people. And I think that that's a very bad way to look, you know, how to do things is to take the voice of one or two and to try to amplify that across everyone's perspective because it's it's different. Also, I think about the tax implications because I look at what happened in California. I mean, California is literally dying right now. And, you know, it's a couple of reasons why, you know, people are are growing more weed on their own. And so that plays a part and they'll run through that in a couple of months and sales will kick back up. But when we're starting to see pounds at three and five hundred dollars being sold to dispensaries, I mean, this was something that we didn't think would happen. But taxes play a big part of that. And the small farmers are getting taxed completely out of the game. And I understand that. And I worked with small farmers before I got into more of the device side. And I still do. And I hear them when they say that it's literally killing them because they transitioned from the traditional market into the legal market in order to follow the law and do what they thought was right. 
And a lot of them feel they made bad decisions in doing that. So if we go federal right now at this time with no consideration of the small farmer or the small business owner, it is going to wipe them out. And it's going to clear the way for other big businesses, which, you know, you know who I mean, to come in and literally take over what some people have literally went to jail for and fought for and stood in front of justice departments and other places protesting to bring cannabis to the forefront of of politics right now. So you think federalization would increase, you know, there could be an argument that actually federalization would bring the taxes down because each state wouldn't be kind of left to their own devices and there would just be one tax. I don't know. Maybe, I guess, who who knows? We don't know. We don't. How do we, I mean, we don't know. How do we know? I mean, it could be that they, you know, how does the state tell, how does the federal government tell the state they have to lower taxes? The state, the federal government couldn't tell the state that they couldn't legalize cannabis. So, I mean, you know, if we're looking at it, you know, in that perspective, then I think that we just need to be cognizant that this could happen. And that it is, again, goes back to the framework of how the laws are written and how everyone that wants to participate in this space has an opportunity to do do that. And that's another issue is that I saw where, you know, I read earlier and saw some talk and heard some talk about, you know, these guys wanted to exclude convicted felons from, you know, being able to get cannabis licenses and businesses. I mean, how unfair is that? If you went to jail for cannabis and then you can't come out and even participate in the business, but you allow people who have never used cannabis. I've been using cannabis, unfortunately, since I was 14 years old. My mom didn't like it so much. But I have faced a lot of scrutiny over the years because of that from my peers. I can never tell people that I worked with that I use cannabis. So when I moved out here and people see me actually come out and be open about it on social media and talking about it and everything, they were like, wow, I never had an idea that Ricardo was like this stoner or a big cannabis smoker. And so I run into this even in the cannabis space where they're like, you do dabs? Or you smoke weed? And I'm like, yeah, I like to wear suits and ties and I like to dress nice. But yeah, I do like to smoke weed, but I just have a place for it in my life because I have other things, so many other things that I have to do. How do you think the cannabis industry is doing? I mentioned at the top of the show that you are the first African-American CEO of a, of a vaporizer company. How do you think the cannabis industry is doing as far as putting African-Americans and people of color and even women, for that matter, into into positions of power. I mean, I, I walked through the halls of MJ Biz last month. I didn't see a lot of people of color there. I didn't see a lot of women. What's your feeling? Can we can it do, can the industry do a lot better? I like to be a transparent person, but I don't like to you know throw people under the bus. But in this in this situation, they're doing horrible. They're doing horrible. Capitalization for people of color is something that we're all struggling with. I, on the other hand, I'm struggling with it, too, because I don't get a lot of guys coming up to me and asking me what my needs are. But I think that it's not about I'm not a guy that likes handouts. You know, I like to work for everything that I've accomplished, but I want a fair playing field. And then I also want people because I believe in giving back. So as a professional chef, I always went into the communities where I lived in D.C. and gave back to those communities. And so I think that What I've learned is that there is a certain style to seeking investment. There is certain attributes and qualities that are required to get investment. 
If nobody's teaching you these things, how do you go to do it? If I walk in and I say, hey, they ask me, hey, what do you need? I need money. So immediately in the investor world, that's a turnoff because it does not address the actual question and you need to be able to speak the language. So I think even if companies aren't jumping up and down to give away their money, give away the education teach people how to do it, help them by, you know, mentoring them and giving them an opportunity to prove their value and their worth. Because I'm telling you now that there are tons of women, I mean, super smart women in this industry that should be in C-level positions, not because it looks good, but because they are qualified and they have the aptitude to run these companies and do a better job than some of these guys that I've seen, to be honest. And the same with African-Americans. There are some amazing people around the country that are doing work and they're screaming the same thing. They can't get funded. Now, if cannabis is such a big business, why wouldn't you help fund those companies? And it's not only for people that don't look like me. This is for people who look like me also, because, Jonathan, people that look like me also need to be helping other African-American and minority entrepreneurs that don't have what they have. So if you are a big celebrity, support a small business by helping them and giving them the finances to grow their businesses. Because I think that that will be a much better, you will get a much better return on your investment by investing in a business who needs your help. I mean, it seems like, you know, if I'm listening to this and I'm a person of color or a woman and I'm like, yeah, you know, I agree with everything he's saying. I can't get any, I can't raise money. It's, you know, companies don't take my meetings. They don't give me money. What should they do? I mean, yes, the onus is somewhat on the companies to educate people about, you know, the best ways to raise money, but are there organizations that they can join? Should, you know, you say, you mentioned you're a mentor to some of these people. How should they pursue this dream of theirs in a way that where they can actually succeed? Well, the one thing that I always believed in is that giving back in the community in which you serve is a big part of it. And so how I, you know, established myself is that I got active in the community. I worked with the cannabis seniors in Oakland. I was at their events every single third Friday. Then I sat there and got smoked under the bus by these guys. But I got their perspective and I learned a lot about them. But I was visible. And when they said, come protest, I went out and protest with them, even though I was afraid I might get locked up in the process and I didn't want to do that. I did it. And so you have to get active and you have to be a part of some of these social groups. I mean, Hood Incubator that's ran by Lanise Martin is really good at that. They have been very vocal and helped establishing the equity program in Oakland. Amber Center and the Supernova program is a program that her, Nina Parks, um, Sunshine Lincho, they found it um, some years ago that's doing amazing work for women in the cannabis space. I think Idella Carrillo from Event High is pushing for helping women in this space. What I would like to see is a little bit more help geared towards men of color, because that is something that I, I see that's deficient. And, you know, I'm always open to talk to anyone about what they're going through, because I understand as an entrepreneur, I spend many sleepless nights. We require funding and I really care about the business. If I didn't care about the business, I could just pack up, turn in my letter of resignation and go do something else. 
or go back to being a chef if I want to. So it's like, you know, for me, it's like I am really dedicated and I'm I'm really heavily invested in this. I left a cooking career. I was already an old cook in the eyes of the cooking community because I came in in my 30s and left like right at the like peak of being 40. And so even though it's something that I want to do later in life, as far as, you know, owning a small little place, this is what I chose to do. So I gave up a lot in order to come here and I'm not going to leave without a fight. So I really don't ask for permission to come in. I don't ask for the capitalization. I'm not going to beg people. What I've done is I've built my reputation. I know a lot of great people. And what I had to do was put down my pride. And if it was something that I didn't understand, I went to someone who is a successful CEO, who has a great company, and I asked them for their help. And it's guys like that or women like that who are willing to take the time, whether you're Black, white, Asian, male, female, whatever you are, they're going to take some time and try to help because they understand the importance of giving back. And I think that that's the most important thing that I could add. Wise words, wise words for sure. I want to end this. Well, first of all, I, if people want to get in touch with you, because I think you'd be a, a wonderful resource, are you comfortable giving them your information of how to find you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm happy when I get emails. My email address is Ricardo, R-I-C-A-R-D-O, at Hanulabs, H-A-N-U-L-A-B-S.com. And, you know, feel free to, you know, ping me. And I'm on LinkedIn under Ricardo Willis or under Hanulabs or Hale. And I'm always more than happy to talk to anyone about, you know, the space. And, you know, maybe it's just somebody to say, man, I'm thinking about getting rid of this. I mean, getting out of this. And I had to go running the other night and spend an hour just pushing and pushing and pushing and remembering the most important thing that I've ever heard, that when you're ready to quit, you're on the verge of greatness. And so that is the thing that keeps me in this day by day, is that I know that I'm on the verge of something great. And I think everyone else is too. Well, let's end on that because that's those are powerful words. Ricardo, Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been really fascinating and, and best of luck with this packed act and with Hanu Labs. But again, you're on, you're on a path to greatness. So I'm feeling confident. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's rightaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.